let me uh, just say very quickly uh, the ministry moment that we showed today about uh, Kid Point. If you have any interest in uh, learning more about how you could uh, serve as a part of that team, or uh, you've never uh, given your children the privilege of being a part of that, uh, feel free to stop out at the Kid Point Welcome Center today, and they'd love to uh, talk with you about how you can uh, connect in uh, Kid Point. Well, I had some fun before you got here this morning, and uh, I built some sandcastles. Uh, because I was thinking, you know, I was remembering when our uh, boys, uh, when Michael and Matthew were in early elementary school, one year we took a vacation out at Sanibel Island. And uh, they were at that age, you know, still then when uh, they loved to play in the sand and they would build things. And Peg and I would take pictures of their masterpieces. And, you know, we were just so in awe of the things that we built. So I thought today I'd bring along one of the pictures of something that they built while we were out at uh, Sanibel. In fact, here it is. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, that's just amazing. But we went to another beach another time a couple years later, and look what they built that day. Yeah, not really. They're probably not much more talented than I am. You know what? It doesn't matter whether it is a, a sandcastle like I built here this morning or an elaborate sand sculpture. The outcome is always the same. Do you realize that? The outcome is always the same. The same thing always happens. At some point, the tide rolls in and it washes it all away. Same is true in our lives, isn't it? The Bible says that God shaped us out of the dust of the earth. And at some point, we will all return to that same dust. At some point, we will all face death. It's going to happen. At some point for all of us, the, the tide will roll in and wash it all away. What we've been using Psalm 90 verse 12 kind of as our theme verse for this whole series, which simply says this, teach us how short our lives really are so that we may be wise. And the reality is the days of our lives are numbered. And so we've been asking a very important and a clarifying question throughout all of this series We've been asking, if I had one month to live, how would I live? And if that's true, then why won't I live that way right now? It's an important question, isn't it? So we've been exploring a number of different things about how we could make that a reality in our lives. And today I want to kind of wrap the series up by talking about how I can leave boldly. How I can leave boldly. Now, I want to say thank you to you guys. You're, I, can, I know that for a lot of us, this series, maybe as much as anything we have ever done here at Crosspoint, has impacted a lot of our lives pretty deeply, hasn't it? And I know that because you've sent me emails and you've told me stories about things that you have decided to do in your lives because of the things that we've talked about. And I want to thank you for that, and I want to encourage you that just because we wrap up the series today, don't stop living this kind of lifestyle. In fact, I'd encourage you, uh, when you have opportunity, there is a website that you can go to. It's the One Month to Live website. And uh, you can continue to visit that on a regular basis and kind of use that as a reminder for all the things that we've uh, talked about. So as I said, today I want to talk about how we can leave boldly. And I want to look at uh, Paul's life again. We looked at him last week. He's a leader in the ancient church. And Paul shows us from his own life, how to leave boldly. Um, we're going to look, if you've got your Bibles, open to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and that's where we're going to look today. 
Second uh, Timothy is kind of a little book there, so don't be uh, feel bad if you need to open to the table of contents and find where that's at. And then go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let me kind of set up the background. Again, Paul is in prison as he writes this. And he writes this at a time that uh, historians really believe it was right before he was beheaded. And, and the reason we know that is we know that Nero was the one who took Paul's life, who executed him. And we know that this letter was written during the time that Nero was ruling. And so it is really quite possible that the words that we're going to look at today, that Paul wrote these words, and really within just a matter of days, He may have lost his life. And I think as he wrote these words, he knew that he was facing a possible execution. That death was staring him in the face. That the tide was about to roll in and sweep his life away. Now, I know when you come to church, death isn't really one of those things that you want to talk about, right? It's not really what you want to hear about this morning, maybe. I mean, when somebody dies, we don't even like to say, hey, they died. We have all these other Phrases that we use, we say, oh, they, they've passed away or they crossed over to the other side or they kicked the bucket or they're, you know, pushing up daisies. The name of this series, One Month to Live, that's what it's called. It's not called One Month Till You Die. Who, who would show up for a series like that? One Month Till You Die. No, we don't want to talk about the realities of death and yet death is a reality. And the truth is this morning, if you had one month to live, the subject of death would suddenly become unavoidable. And so I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about that very subject and let's listen to what Paul has to say and I think his words can teach us some very insightful things. Here's what he writes, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. And let me just read what he writes and then we'll talk about it. He writes, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness with which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. And here's what I want to do with what he says here today. I just want to take it phrase by phrase and see how we can apply it to our lives. So the very first thing he says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And if you're comfortable writing in your Bible this morning, I'd encourage you, why don't you underline the words drink offering. Paul says, my life is like a, a drink offering. And when people in his day were to worship God, when they would to go and offer their sacrifices and their worship, the drink offering out of all of the offerings that they or sacrifices they could give to God was the least expensive. And so oftentimes they would take their drink offering, they would take some wine in a and a chalice, more of a pottery type thing than this, but they would take their drink offering and as a sacrifice to God, as as a way of saying, God, I trust in You, they would pour out this wine onto the, the altar, the hot coals of the altar, and it would evaporate and the smoke would rise up and there would be this beautiful smelling fragrance that would be lifted up to God. And Paul says, that's my life. I have poured it all out for God. I have poured it all out on His altar. I have given my life completely, every drop of it to Him. He's saying in all of this, you know what? My hope is not in what I have accomplished. My hope isn't in my success. My hope is in God. Because I have poured out my life for Him. Which causes me to 
then ask the question of myself and really of all of us this morning. What have you poured out your life for? On what altar have you poured out your life? When someone dies, and I've done a number of funerals for uh, people that I really didn't know very well. Their families, for different reasons, contact me and have said, you know, could you do a funeral, a funeral for this family member? And so when I don't know them very well, one of the things that I usually do is I invite that family a few days before the funeral to get together. Often in my office we'll sit down and talk or sometimes in their living room and we'll sit around in a circle and talk. And, and I'll just ask them, tell me about you know, whoever, the person that's passed away. And it's interesting just to listen sometimes. Sometimes they'll tell you all about what they accomplished in their career. You know, and it's all about, hey, they did this and accomplished this in their career and they had these awards because of their work. Sometimes they want to tell you about their, their hobbies or the, the things that they have collected. Sometimes they'll want to tell you what a big sports fan they are. By the way, I heard about a guy that at his funeral had the theme song for ESPN played. I thought that was brilliant. Really. They'll tell you all kinds of things, but you know what I'm listening for? I'm listening and hoping that at some point they will say something about their relationship with God. I'm hoping at some point they will say that they sought after God in their life. So if I gathered some of your friends, some of your family in a room today, and I said to them, tell me about you, what would they say? What would they say that you have poured your life out for? Here's the three things that I hope, I hope somebody would say about me. And I'm guessing these would probably be the same things that you would hope today that somebody would say about you. First, I hope that somebody would say about me at the end of my life that I poured out my life like Paul for God. That I sought first and foremost in my life after Him. I hope secondly they would say that I poured out my life for my wife that I loved her the way she deserved to be loved. And third, I, I hope they would say that I poured out my life for my children. That I did everything I could to pour myself into their lives. And if the, people would say those three things about me, I'd be pretty happy. Pretty happy with how they look back on my life. I heard about a dad who had for some reason, counted up the number of Saturdays that he had left with his children before they would be off on their own. And he had taken a, a glass jar and he had put marbles in that jar, the number of marbles representing how many Saturdays he thought he had left with his children before they were to leave home. So I got to thinking about that. And, and what he would do is every Saturday, you know, he'd take out a marble and he'd think, there's one Saturday gone that I invest in my children this week. So I got to thinking this week, you know, if I were to count up and have a marble for each of the weeks or Saturdays that I've had with my children, I would have had when they were born that very first day, I would have had about 950 Saturdays to go. My oldest son, Michael, will graduate just a little over a year from today. And so I counted up how many Saturdays I have left in my jar with him. 57 this week. 57 weeks left to invest in his life. And actually, yesterday was Saturday. So now there are only 56 to go. By the way, I guess you could say my son is losing his marbles, but 
is he in here this service? I don't think so. Don't tell him that I said it because he'll be in here next time, okay? I don't know, maybe it's not your children for you. But what is it that's really significant in your life? What is it that you want to pour your life into? And if you were to count up the number of weeks that you have left to do that, maybe you don't even know. But how many marbles would be in the jar? And when we get together again next week, there'll be one less marble in there. What will you do to pour your life into what really matters? Paul said, I poured my life out for God because that was most important. The next thing that he says here, he says, the time for my departure is near. You can underline the word departure. When It's really a beautiful word when it's translated. It can be translated to set sail. Paul says, when I think about my death, I'm not thinking about death. I'm thinking about a departure. I'm thinking about leaving a port like I'm going on a beautiful vacation. I'm leaving the port for my true destiny. I'm leaving the port for what I really have lived life for. Paul says, I'm not thinking about an execution. I am anticipating a departure. For him, death was not something to be avoided. It was something to be anticipated because he understood where he was headed. In fact, if you look over in Philippians chapter 1, we were in this book last week also, I want you to listen to something else that Paul writes about because he he gives us a glimpse here of his heart and his mindset about not facing death, but looking at it as a departure. Here's what he says in in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. It helps if I'm in Philippians. There we go. For to me, to live is Christ. That, that's that same attitude there where he says, I, I'm, it's all about Jesus in my life. It's all about pursuing Him. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. If I, if I get to stay here, I get to continue to do good things for God. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart, there's that word, to set sail, and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You see, Paul understands. He understands it's all about a departure, and so he's not worried about an execution. He looks forward to his departure. Do you know why? Because he has the right perception of what happens at death. He understands that if he, as a Christ follower, when he dies, it is the gateway to being with Jesus. But do you know why a lot of us and a lot of people in our culture don't anticipate death? It's because they have some false understandings of what really happens at death. They have some misconceptions. And there's quite a few of these, and I thought about trying to run through these today, but time just doesn't permit it. And so, uh, if you go to my blog, I went in Friday, and I've already written and kind of listed all of these misconceptions that people have, and how we can have a better understanding of what the Bible actually says about these things. And so, if you want to visit there and kind of catch up on these, we need to have the same mindset that Paul had, that departure is not an end. Our death is not an end, it's a beginning. It's the beginning as a Christ follower of spending eternity with Jesus. In fact, someone has said it like this, this kind of idea. If you're not a Christ follower, 
then this world is the best that you have to hope for. This is as good as it gets. In fact, if you could say it this way, if you are not a Christ follower, this world is as close to heaven as you will ever get. And if you are a Christ follower, this world is as close to hell as you will ever get. Paul says, I'm ready because I have a clear understanding that death is a departure as a Christ follower to be with Jesus. Here's the next thing that he says. He says, I have fought the good fight. You could underline the word fight. Fight uh, can be translated, it's kind of where we get our word agonizing. And certainly, if you remember from last week, as we talked about Paul's life, his life had been filled with agonizing struggles. He lived in very difficult days. And yet, despite his difficult days, Paul says, I have never given up on God. I have fought the fight. You know, if we were to take all that Paul has written about uh, his life, and we were to take all that he has written about his life and we to put it into one book, and we were to give that book about his life a title, the title of that book would not be your best life now. It wouldn't be. If you were to take all that Paul has written about his life, and you were to put it in a book, and you were to give that book a title, the title would be Your Best Life Later. See, Paul had lived difficult days. He knew what it was to struggle. He had fallen down at times. It had been agonizing. And yet now he understands that it wasn't all about, his hope wasn't in the struggles of this life. His hope was in the life that was to come. Then notice the next phrase. He says, I have finished the race. I have finished the race. Paul says, I can see the finish line. I'm going to make it across the finish line. Paul says, I've been running the race. And now I can see the end. I, uh, you can guess from what I said last week about the lack of exercise in my life. I am not a runner. But I understand that from runners that there are a couple of stages they sometimes experience when they run long distances. I understand that for some runners, after they've run for a while, they enter the pleasure stage. I just want to tell you, I have never entered the pleasure stage of running, okay? But I understand that when you enter this stage, it, it, everything suddenly feels great. Your adrenaline is pumping. Your lungs are clear. The blood is flowing. The sun is shining. The flowers are singing. The fish are jumping. Daddy's rich and Mama's good looking. Something like that. But I guess when you're in this stage, everything just feels good. And maybe that's where you find yourself in life today. Everything's good. I'm just rolling along. And that's great. But there's another stage, and I've been to this stage. It's called the painful stage of running. And in the painful stage of running, the lungs begin to burn and your side hurts and your legs grow heavy and you don't need to think about winning the race anymore. All you can think is, can I finish the race? And do you notice when Paul writes here, he doesn't say, I have won the race. No, he says, I have finished the race. Because he knew what it was like struggle. He had been in the painful stage. His life wasn't perfect. He had fallen down a lot of times. He had tripped along the way. 
He had taken some difficult stumbles along the way. But every time, because of God's grace and God's forgiveness, Paul had gotten up and he had kept running the race. And now he says, I can see the finish line. I'm going to make it to the end because I have kept the faith. And then listen to what he writes. He says this in verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. The, the winner's crown is going to be draped around my head, around my shoulders. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Paul says, if we'll finish the race, if we'll keep our faith in Jesus, we'll get the same crown of righteousness. It'll be an incredible thing. Jess Moody, who is a pastor in Kentucky, tells a story about a woman in his church. He was called to her bedside. She was dying of cancer and the days were definitely numbered. And so when he got to her hospital bed that day, she said to him, you know, I've heard you talk about that it says in the Bible that a, a thousand years are like a day to God. She said, is that true? He said, it is true. A thousand years to, down here on earth are like a day to God. She said, well, if that's true, then I've been doing some math and I figure if a thousand years down here is like a day to God, then 40 years must be like about an hour. And she said, my husband, I think he'll probably live about 40 more years. But if I'm in heaven, that will only seem like an hour. And I can be away from him for an hour. And when he gets there, I'll just say, Honey, what have you been doing for the last hour? Did you run some errands? Everything okay? And she said, I was thinking about my children. She said, I figure they'll live to be 70 or 80. But in heaven, that will only seem like a couple of hours. I've been away from them for a couple of hours. And so when they get there, I'll just greet them. I'll say, How was your day at school? Mommy always hates it when I'm away from you. I sure have missed you. So, it really was just a matter of a couple of weeks until she actually passed away. Jess Moody says the last thing she said to her husband was, I love you. Take care of the children. I'll see you in an hour. I want to tell you, friends, that's an eternal perspective. That's how you do what Paul did and leave boldly. See, the reality this morning is all of our lives are like sandcastles. And at some point, the tide will roll in and we'll be swept away. At some point, all of us will face death. As a Christ follower, my hope is not in the sandcastles that I build here on earth. My hope, my confidence, my trust is in what is being built for me in heaven. You see, here's what it all comes down to. We all need Jesus. Isn't that interesting? That takes us right back to where we started the very first week of this series, isn't it? With the realization that in all of our lives we need Jesus. We need the One who has already overcome death. We need Him in our lives. 
The choice is yours. You can choose to follow Jesus. You can choose to to place your trust in Him. And when you make that choice, then suddenly your hope is not in a sandcastle that will be washed away. Your hope is in Jesus and in what lies beyond the grave. Your hope allows you not to have to fear your departure, but to anticipate when you set sail. And like Paul, cross that finish line and are given the crown of righteousness. Or, you can place your trust in sandcastles. You can take the risk. The choice is yours. Would you pray with me? God, I can say I anticipate, I look forward to the day that I'll be with You. God, I understand. And I pray that You'd help every one of us to understand deeply in our hearts this morning that death is simply a departure. It's the gateway to being with Jesus. Father, would You help us to rest in that today? Would You help us not to fear death, not to see it as an end, but Father, to anticipate it and see it as a beginning? But God, I pray very clearly this morning, I'm asking You to work deep in the hearts of any person that's in this room today that has never trusted Jesus Christ to be the Savior and leader of their life. God, I just ask that You'd work deep in their heart today And Father, that they would not place their trust in a sandcastle that will be swept away. God, would You work in their heart to convince them today how much greater it would be if they would simply place their trust in Jesus Christ. That He can be their hope for eternity. Thank You for that promise. And thank You for how You'll work in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.